I had the uh, privilege uh, in the last couple of weeks to, to go down to the boys' brigade who were doing their Bible um, part of a competition. And so the boys had been slogging up on Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4, and I had to go and ask them a whole load of questions about Matthew. And I reassured them, really, that it was good that they were doing this as young lads learning the whole Bible. The congregation would be so proud of them because the congregation do this all the time, and they know all the answers to every Bible quiz that's here, don't you? Because you've been doing this for years. They've only just started in, in this walk. So I just these are the questions. What title was given to Jesus in the first verse of Matthew? Come on. Um, how many generations are there from Abraham to David? A lot, right? Okay. There are three or four, four women named in the genealogy of Jesus. Can you name any two of them? Ruth? Mary? Nope. Rahab? Yep, and the other one is actually Bathsheba, although she's named as Uriah's wife. Where were the people exiled to? Babylon, that's right, yep, okay. Um, what reason did the angel give Jesus to marry Mary? I could keep going. From what direction did the Magi came? From what city did they come to first? Who did Herod call to advise him? What did the king ask the advisors? What did the king ask the Magi to do? How many Magi were, were there when Jesus was born? And who was Moses' mother and father-in-law? No, that was a joke question. Or I could ask you, if we were reading doing Hebrews, uh, who was Melchizedek and can you spell his name? You know, actually, after the boys... I to tell them that actually that's not how we use the Bible. Bible knowledge is not a quiz game where you learn questions about who Moses' father-in-law was or how many wise men there were or anything like that. That's not what we do when we use the Bible. We use the Bible because it says that all Scripture is breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so that the servant of God, that's us, may be equipped for every good work. And as we've been reading through the book of Hebrews, we have a, a writer who's writing to tired Christians, and he's doing just what I did at the beginning of the service. He's telling them familiar stories, both from the Old Testament, but all of them to point to Jesus. And he's talking about Jesus being greater than the angels and Jesus being greater than Moses and Jesus being the fulfillment of all the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And he's using all this Bible knowledge and he's using it in order that Christians might get it and not just get it but flourish with it. He's telling them that they need to pay attention because he doesn't want them to drift away. He wants them to realize how important and how big Jesus is. And he's wanting to tell them all of this so that they hold fast to what they believe. That's why we read the Scripture. That's why I preach the message. It's not that we go away with a whole load of Bible knowledge, although if you can spell Melchizedek, that's amazing. It's so that we are enriched by the Word of God, that we might know the one that we believe in, we might trust Him through thick and thin, we might know whom we have believed and convinced that he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day that will come, but also that we might be shaped for godly living to make a difference in this world. 
we can so quickly fall away. We can so quickly get to that place where our hearts are cold even if our bodies are in a church service. We can so quickly get to that place where we're going through the, the form of religion, but we have stopped loving the Lord Jesus. We have stopped being enthusiastic. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, which is a very familiar song. But I make no apologies for using this old song because I found the words of this speak to my spiritual life all the time. Tell me the story often. The story of what Jesus has done for me, the story that I have been saved because of him, the story that he went to the cross for me. Why? Because I forget it so soon. That's not that I failed the BB quiz. That's that my heart has forgotten it, that I have got distracted by life. The early dew of morning passed away at noon. Or then these very powerful words, tell me the same old story when you've got cause to fear that the world's empty glory is costing me too dear. When the world's glory, when all it's offering, when all the distractions, all the ambitions, all the pleasures of the world are such that I have forgotten why I am here and whose I am. Let's hear the Word of God, and we find it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 11, these words. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word over all again. You need milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites or the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. God permitting, we will do so. It's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age and have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. They're lost. They, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and are subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown Him as you have helped people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that you hope what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. 
when God made his promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms that what is said and puts an end to the argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's become a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. I wonder as we sang that song, that familiar song, Tell Me the Old, Old Story, did you find it encouraging? When you focus on those words of the gospel repeated to you, that you know that you can base your life on the all that Jesus has done, on his forgiveness, on his promise for you. And much of Hebrews is really about that. It's saying to of people who are tired and fed up and maybe tempted not to go on, actually, as the pastor, the writer wants to reassure them that Jesus has done it all for them, that Jesus has guaranteed it for them, that Jesus understands what they're going through and they can be encouraged. But then... There's something else. And I don't know whether you picked it up in the first line of that verse. We have much to say to you, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer understand. You know, there's a point in a sermon where the preacher stops telling the folk encouraging things and starts telling them stuff they don't necessarily want to hear. And that's what happens at this point. The preacher is giving these folk a cold shower. He's saying to them, he's saying to them, you've stopped trying. You've stopped growing. You've stopped having a thirst and an energy and an excitement about God's Word. In fact, you've got to the point that you don't want to know anymore. Now, let's be very clear what the preacher is saying to them. He's not saying you're stupid and you don't know anything. That's not his problem. He's saying to them, you've stopped trying. You've stopped engaging your brains. You've stopped having an appetite for God's truth. I know there's, there's, there's a number of teachers in, in the room just now. And I, I'll bet you that they'll tell you that the most frustrating pupils are not the ones who are struggling they're the ones who, who can't even be bothered, don't want to learn anymore. Is that fair? Teachers and retired teachers, the ones that, that have no appetite to learn anymore. And that's what this preacher is talking about here. And this is very contemporary. Most ministers will tell you this, that the biggest problem with congregations in Scotland and the West today is that folks say, just give me the simple stuff. Don't stretch me. 
Don't take me anywhere else. Just repeat the same old Bible stories and I'm absolutely fine. There is nothing else I want to learn. I've no interest in going to a Bible study. I've no interest in reading a Christian book. I've no interest in being stretched in any way. Just give me a nice sermon. Keep it short. Tell me a funny story. I'll go out happy and that's what I want. Is that fair? And we look at our watch and we say it's getting on. When's he going to finish? But you know what we're actually saying at that point is we think this is humility where we say, I'm just a simple Christian, that's all I want to be. But actually, you know what, what you're saying when you say that, I'm just a, a simple Christian, I don't need to know, want to know anymore. What you're actually saying is, everything that matters I already know. And nothing else, nothing else that this preacher has to teach me or this Bible has to teach me, or this church has to teach me, is possibly important. I know everything that's important. I have nothing else to learn. And everything else is actually worthless. That's what you are saying. And I don't think any of us want to be saying that. You know, here's the thing. God called a bunch of fishermen who didn't know an awful lot at all. And you know what He called them? He called them disciples. And the word disciple means a learner. And they spent three years with Jesus learning from him. But do you think that's where it stopped? Do you think they came to a point where they said, I know it all now. I don't need to know anymore. Or do you think that they were called to always be disciples, always be learners? I, I want to say every Christian is called to be a learner. It doesn't matter whether you're the Archbishop of Canterbury or you're someone who became a Christian two minutes ago and you don't have a clue who Melchizedek is. Or Moses. Doesn't matter. The calling on each one of us is to learn and to grow. Not learn Bible knowledge questions, but learn what it is that God's Word has for us. What God's Word is for us. It's very important that we keep on growing. Sometimes in the church we get this wrong. We sort of say, the children go to Sunday school to learn things. Then they come to maybe a new communicants class to join the church. And then they sit in a pew and get the old time religion for the rest of their lives. And that's not God's model. It's that we are keep learning and keep thinking again. You know, I, I could do um, times tables with you just now, couldn't I? Two, twos are... Two threes are six. Two fours are eight. Two fives are ten. Two sixes are twelve. You know, great teaching model. And I bet you if your kids were doing that in primary school, you'd come back and say they know their tables. I don't know whether they do tables anymore. I have no idea. But it would be really good. But if you have a kid that's gone on to high school and they come back and they say, we're doing our tables, you would scratch your head and say, when are you doing calculus? When are you doing long division? When are you doing more than that? And if you had a kid who said, I'm fourth year university, I'm about to graduate with a degree, and you know what we learned today? Two threes are six. You think there was something wrong. Learning is a process for life. Now, not all of us are going to be professors. That's not the point. But all of us need to say, this is important, what God has to, and so I want to learn and learn more. Now, this has some very practical applications. Because what the writer says here is that some of you ought to be teachers, but you're not there yet. Can I put that this way? 
Folk are saying just now that we have a shortage of preachers, we have a shortage of ministers. That's not the problem. Because God's model is not that we have lots of, of Christians in a church and one of them goes off to university and learns stuff and then he comes down and teaches people the times tables. Here's the model. Jesus taught 12 people. They taught people. They taught people. They taught people. The charge was to teach our children and help them grow. The model is that you they do this in medical schools, I think. You see one, you do one, you teach one. And the idea is that the, that the knowledge of God cascades. You learn stuff. You're able to teach stuff. And that, that teaching stuff isn't necessarily being a Sunday school teacher. It could be that. Um, but it's being able to, to share a little bit, to encourage someone else in their faith, to, to share something, an insight, to, to remind someone of the truth of, 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 of their despairing about, about all that's happened in their life. And you're able to tell them and remind them of the, the promises that we have of eternal life. It's being able to, to, to speak into the debates of today, huge big debates about marriage and all sorts of things going on there. And to be able to say not just I've got a faith in God, but actually be able to, to say something about what God's will is, what God's plan is. To be able to learn a little bit more of that. And not just that we can teach it, but that we can live it out for ourselves. That we might go on to maturity Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. You know, what this is saying is this. It's not enough for us just to want to know the gospel. We need to learn more and more of God's will, not just so that we can answer a Bible quiz, but so we can know what's right and wrong, so we can know how He wants us to live in this world today, so that we can make good decisions as we live our lives about, about money and about uh, relationships uh, and about witnessing and about how the church should be as we live it out together. And therefore, we need to have a hunger for God's Word, a real hunger. Now, if you don't know much and you're still at the milk stage, that's fine. It's okay that the baby doesn't want to eat the steak. But when you've got a baby that's drinking milk, you're doing that in the hope that someday they'll take a rusk. And after that, they'll, they'll take some vegetables. And Well, no, maybe not in Scotland. Nobody takes vegetables. But you, know, uh, but you know what I mean? It's okay to be at the start of that process. Don't feel inferior if you're saying, I don't know any of this stuff. That's okay. What's not okay is to be the pupil that gets whatever grade for their, 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 their exam, but has the D for effort in terms of advancing, in terms of growing, in terms of learning more and more and more. That is what the preacher is saying here. And he goes on to talk about how, how you know, for Christians, you've been enlightened. You've, you've got a knowledge of God that God has given you. You've tasted the heavenly gift. You, you, you know what God has promised you. You've shared in the Holy Spirit together in the life of the church. You've got excited at some point about the Word of God and the promises for the coming age. But if you sort of think all of that's not important and you think all of that's something that you don't have anything more to learn about, you are in real danger that you'll despise it, that you'll reject it and you'll fall away. And so this, this preacher is saying to you, have and nurture 
a hunger for the Word of God. And can I say very simply and very practically, I give you a challenge that every one of us can do to read your Bible every day through Lent. You can take those away with you. That might help you. You may have a different way of doing it. But very simply, can I charge you and encourage you through Lent, open your Bible every day. Read the familiar bits. Stretch yourself on something new. Have a shot at Hebrews. There's an awful lot of it's going to go straight over your head. That's okay. What did you learn? What did you grow from? What were you encouraged by as you read it? Don't worry about the stuff that you don't know and don't understand. What's the things that begin to teach you that you might learn even a little bit more? Now, in some ways, this passage, if you look at it, is quite frightening because the preacher is very concerned. It's on his heart that if his people don't have and rekindle this excitement to grow and to, to learn, this excitement to become more mature in Christ, that they will fall away, that they will give up, that they will get bored. I think some Christians are bored. They have this exciting faith, and they have got so familiar with it, and they're not wanting to push on with it at all, that they've actually got bored. There is no reason to be bored about the Christian faith. There is always more to learn. There is more vistas to begin to see in what God has done, to be excited by. There are more possibilities as we do that. There are more parts of our life to bring and to say to the Lord, Lord, as I read your word, how does this speak? How does this change? How does this transform me? There is more to learn together and to be excited by. And we need to find as a church more and more ways to do that. But I want to stop with a cold shower for a minute, because the preacher does that as well. And in the last few verses, he turns back to encouragement, because he tells a story, a Bible story, and the story is the story of Abraham. And what he's saying in this story is he's saying, you know, Abraham, you know the story. If you don't, go read it. There's another challenge. He started off in Ur. He felt a call of God to go into the promised land. He went with a promise that God would give him a land. He didn't have any land. He went with a promise that God would give him a family. He was 17. He didn't have any children. And he went through all that he went through in the hope of what God gave him. But this isn't the point in one sense. Abraham is a great example to us. But let's remember when we talked about failure that Abraham completely failed too. At one point, he was willing to let Pharaoh sleep with his wife if it got him off the hook. Another point, he thought he'd have children with, with a slave girl. He got things completely wrong at times. But what the author is saying this, remember what happened at the start of Abraham's story. God said to Abraham, I am going to bless you, and I am going to make a great nation from you. And therefore, as Abraham went forward, as he struggled on, as he tried to grow and mature and learn from his mistakes, he was doing that against this word of assurance. God had said that the end was secure. He would have the land. He would have the children. He would have the promise. That wasn't in doubt. Not because Abraham was great and Abraham would get there, but because God had said it would happen. And when God said something's going to happen, God's going to make it happen. So don't be afraid. And then the author comes back in the last part of the passage to, to point this out to Christians. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure, 
while the billows roll, as we say in that paraphrase. And what it's really saying is this. You know, at, at times as you go through this, this, this struggle, you're going to fail. At times you're going to get it wrong. At, at times it's going to seem that the whole world is against you and it's all caving in. But you know this. And this is why you can keep going. And this is why you push on to maturity. And this is why you're hungry to know more and more and more and more and more. Because Jesus has gone through the veil. Jesus has gone through death for you. Jesus died and rose again. And you are clinging to that and held by that, the anchor that will keep you through any storm. Now, that's not a simple faith. That's not just, oh, well, that's fine. You don't need to do anything then. That's an encouragement to grab on, to learn more, to grow to maturity that you might have that assurance. I'll leave you with one image, and I've used this before, and I make no apologies. A child is walking down a dangerous road with a parent, holding the parent's hand. And the parent says to the child, I want you to learn to stay close, to stay by me, to be safe. And as the parent gives the child the warnings of the dangers of the road, the very real dangers of the road, he encourages the child to grab tighter and tighter to that hand. But here's the thing. Does the child's safety depend ultimately on the strength of the child's grasp of that hand? No. Because dad's holding the hand and dad's not going to let go. That's the message from Hebrews here. The father has your hand and you are secure. But that is not an excuse to say, therefore I don't need to do anything, I don't need to try. Rather, that's the very reason you grab onto that hand with your dear life, because you know it's a safe hand, and you know it takes you to a bigger and better place. Let's pray.